Oh man, what a crazy day. Just made a I actually I almost died this morning um, in a car accident. So this is I, I I actually that's that's an exaggeration. I almost killed someone else. I you know, we uh we're in the process of adopting this girl, um this this 16-year-old girl uh out of the foster system. We've had her in our house for like eight months. I love her to death. Um, but now I'm teaching her how to drive. And man, I've never come so close to killing someone. I mean, not like, like she was just, I mean, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, stop! It's just like inches. And uh, so I was almost in prison, almost killed a lady, almost missed the flight out here, but here I am. So God wants to do something. Um, you know, I, let me just back up a little bit, just, just thinking about my, my new daughter. If, for those who don't know, I, I've got seven kids. And, uh, yeah. And uh, so this, this gal that we're adopting, though, man, I'm just crazy about her. Um, the things that God's done in her life, just from this terrible background and, and to see God completely turn her life around, um, but also... Also seeing my 15-year-old daughter, you know, uh, ministering to her and discipling her. And, they, you know, they're bunking together. And, and just even before this gal moved in, you know, I was talking to my 15-year-old about it, you know. And, and uh, you know, we're at a restaurant or something. And, you know, she didn't eat anything. I'm like, you know, what, what's the matter? She goes, oh, I, I'm fasting this week for her. And I'm like, wow, that's just so cool. And, and I just really believe it's those prayers of this 15-year-old girl that transformed this girl's life. And, um, but, but one of the joys for me was at, at one point the social worker asked, you know, how long can she stay here with you? And to be able to look into her eyes and, and say, honey, don't worry, you know, you, you, you can stay here as long as you want. You can be one of my daughters. See, all the girls, you know how I treat my daughters. You can be one of them. I, I will take you, completely have you as one as mine. Whatever is mine is yours. Like, I see you as my girl. And, and as I was saying that, you know, I mean, it just kind of flowed out of my mouth. I totally believed it. I felt so good saying it I felt like God was speaking to me at that same moment you know like like him just going Francis don't you see that's that's what I say to you you know why do you still sometimes have a hard time believing that he goes why do you think you as a human being can look at this girl and say everything that's mine is yours I will take you as my own I'll treat you as one of my daughters why do you think you can do that do you not believe I can do that do you not believe that I've said that to you? It's one of those moments where I just, it, it, just of security, because I'm, I guarantee some of you in this room struggle the way that I have, where because of your past, because of your, your upbringing, you may struggle with the security before God, where you go, wait, but I did this, but I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, don't I still have to do this, rather than really believing his word, and him saying, no, I'm a good father. You know, and, and it was just one of those moments in my life where I just felt like God was reassuring me again, like, don't you see the way you feel towards her? And, and don't you see how you just want her to believe it because it's true? That's what I say to you. And I just believe God has that message for some of you tonight that, that maybe you're just feeling insecure in your relationship with God because there's some lies in your life. There's some things that you've covered up. There's some things that you've done that no one else in this room knows about. And sometimes it's hard to believe because of your upbringing or something that happened in your past that there's this amazing, holy, almighty God that looks at you and says, no, don't you get it? I'll adopt you. You, you know, everything that Jesus has, you, you, you can even have his righteousness and all of his riches. It's all yours. All so that you would just go, wait, there's nothing I did? You just chose to love me like that? Just like this gal? It's like I, I hardly knew her. And yet there was just something. No, I love her. Here it is. Man, I, so I saw, oh, thank God, uh, you know, for, for, uh, for Dalal, just, just, I love her, I love my kids, love all my kids. Um, 
wasn't planning on going there. It's just it's all from her trying to kill someone today. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just the last few years, I've just been more and more believing that I need to be led by the Spirit wherever I am. That doesn't mean I don't study. I study this book. I know the passages. I want to know the Word of God. But I guess I'm less and less into the carefully crafted message where I walk out and I tell some dramatic story. It was a cold night. You know, it's just I, like, I, I'm just like, really? Uh, is that what I see in scripture? Or, or am I just supposed to walk so closely with him and know this word so deeply and turn to a passage where we all read and just stand in awe of the word of God? And that's what I want to do tonight. Um, but uh, it's a rare opportunity tonight that we have because... Uh, because we have so many children, my wife rarely gets to go with me anywhere. And, um, uh, and the last couple of years, God's been speaking through her. Um, in fact, I even told her a couple of years ago, I really feel like this next phase of our lives is him wanting her to speak more and more into lives of women. Because uh, people have heard everything I have to say. And I said, man, I'll stay home with the kids. You go talk. Um, because I really believe there's a message and that God's used her in some powerful ways in teaching the word of God. And, and it's been cool seeing this new gift rise up in her. And so I asked if she would actually come up and share a few words of whatever the Lord lays on her heart and whatever passage the Lord lays on her heart. So if you guys could welcome the former Miss Teen California. He's so silly. Well, I like to have a carefully crafted message because getting up here and, and trusting the spirit is hard for me to do. But that's what I'm going to do because I do not have anything carefully crafted. But I love that I could just sit here and read scripture to you and you wouldn't really need anything else beyond that. And the scripture the Lord put on my heart for you guys, there's four, and I'm trying to figure out which ones to share, but I want to start with Deuteronomy 30, because lately with a couple of our kids, they, they've gotten a little busted. Um, and anytime your kids get in trouble or do something wrong, it's so hard as a parent, you're trying to find that balance between I've got to punish you and show you that it's not okay to do this. I also want you to understand the grace of God and that I love you and that I forgive you and that that is secure in the midst of you are naughty and something's going to happen now. And so last night I was talking with one of my daughters and I was sharing with her through um, Hebrews chapter 12. And I was saying, it says it right there, all discipline seems painful at the moment, right? But to those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm like, honey, this is just part of your training. It's okay to do the wrong thing, to get caught because God loves you and I love you and to be trained by it and to learn from that discipline of your parents. And ultimately one day we're not going to discipline you anymore. It's going to be between you and God. And that's the part that I worry about for you guys is you're at that, you know, your mom and dad, they're not, they're not looking over your shoulder. They're not catching you. They're not telling you don't do that. They're not saying no more video games for you because you just lied or you just went onto this website and you know, you're not supposed to. So what is it for you guys? that's going to keep you holy and pure and doing the right thing. And I just want to remind you of this scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30, way back in the Old Testament. And I love the title of it. It says, The Choice of Life and Death. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, 
death, and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not live long in the land that you are going over to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. I love that. That's something that should be on your Facebook page right there. I have set before you, it's Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. And I just want to ask you today, please choose life. The Lord always sets it before you. It is a choice and you have to decide who are you living for? Who do you trust? Who will you listen to? Will it be the world and the enemy in all of its ways? Or are you going to completely separate yourself and find life and joy and peace and trust the Lord your God who has created you, who has good works for you to do, who loves you? That's it. Okay, that's all you got. That's all we need. Thank you. That's funny because I almost interrupted you. I thought you had more. Um, Just to say, you know, my wife and I just finished writing a, a book on marriage called You and Me Forever. And it's about... It's about forever. It's about marriage in light of eternity. It's about what the scripture actually says about marriage, which scripture doesn't really say a whole lot about marriage. You know, we kind of blow it up like, oh, this whole book's about marriage. There's only a couple verses about marriage. And even those verses aren't really about human marriage. They're about Christ and the church. And sometimes we just blow it out of proportion. Um, You know, because we enjoy it. And so we we idolize it. Uh, But I... I wanted to say a few words, you know, as she was up here speaking, I was just thinking about how, you know, for some of you ladies, just, uh, you know, Lisa and I have been married for 21 and a half years now. Um, you know, our oldest daughter is, yeah, no, that's, you can clap for that. It hasn't, hasn't been that hard. Um, but we, uh, our oldest is 19, you know, so she's in college. Our youngest is three months old, and we've got everything in between. And, uh, but I, I can't tell you, I mean, when we got married, like, I had no idea what it was going to be like to have someone support me, because I never had that. You know, a lot of you know my testimony. My parents were dead by the time I was in junior high, so I I never really had anyone believing in me. And, uh, you know, when the scriptures talk about how God made this helper for Adam, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it wasn't good for him to be alone. There was something about this completing that happened. And and, uh, we had such completely radically different upbringings. I mean, she was in the perfectly little safe, you know, nice little rich neighborhood and Christian parents that were alive. She wasn't even allowed to watch Scooby-Doo, you know, just like, <laughs> I mean, she was just your cookie cutter, you know, real safe. She wasn't allowed to go, you know, more than this five mile radius. You know, everything was just, you know, a little princess. And, uh, You know, and I just came from total freedom, just on my own, whatever else. And, and so I don't know, it was just this, this, this thing that the Lord brought together. And, 
And I had no idea what it was going to be like to have someone believe in me and even want to take her life in a complete different direction than what she was used to. Um, and just, I mean, you got you to gotta understand, I mean, we were married for maybe two, I think about two weeks when I looked at her and said, you know, I've never even thought about this, but I think God wants me to start a church, you know? And I think that means I shouldn't take any money from the church. And I think that means you support us, you know, like, is that cool? Like, can you just, you, you know, I mean, ladies think two weeks into marriage and this guy's going, Hey, can you support us? Cause I think God wants me to start a church. I don't know if anyone's going to show up. I just want to do it the right way. I want to do it in our house. So this way, I don't care if anyone shows up. I just want to preach whatever's in this book, you know, and, and for her to rather than to go, man, this is not what I dreamt about, you know, for her to say, you know, I, I married you cause I believe God would use you to lead us. And so if that's what you think God wants us to do. Then I'm behind you hundred percent. Man, do you, yeah. Do you know what that felt like for me? And at that time, you know, as we started this little church and she's working full time, suddenly she gets an offer as a recording artist. And she's offered a contract and she's thinking, gosh, this is my dream come true. But I think this is going to lead us in two different directions. And for her to go, no, I'm going to support you. You know, I'm like, no, take it, take it, you know, and it was just, no, this is what I believe God wants me to do. And, and, you know, the decisions that we've made through the years that have just run completely counter to everything that she was used to, you know, of a husband that comes back from Africa and goes, I can't live here anymore, you know, just going nuts, like, just sell everything, I, I just, I, let's go, let's look at trailers, maybe we live in a trailer park, and for her, that afternoon, not even going to Africa with me, going to a trailer park, looking, you know, with our two kids at that time, and, you know, it, it's just crazy, crazy stuff, and, uh, you know, whether it's selling everything and moving to China, you know, later on in life, or adopting this kid, or, it's just been this, this whirlwind, this, this uh, crazy, crazy um, adventure that we've been on. And, and so when she speaks, and she speaks to, you know, she, she's always more comfortable just with the women, but I just want you to know, um, it's not even just the words she says, because obviously that's scripture, but it's a life that she's lived. And in writing the book, a big reason why we wrote the book was for singles. Because we said, you know, people have this weird view of marriage. And I think we're seeing singles getting more and more afraid of marriage. Because can you think of one person one strong believer who was radical about their faith and then they got married and became more radical? Can you even name one person like that? Because usually what happens is people like you, you're, you're like, yeah, I'll do anything for the Lord. But then you meet someone and you start connecting with them a little bit. And, and then pretty soon it's like, okay, they, yeah, we can't quite make it to this trip. We can't quite make it to that Bible study. And then you get married. Oh, that first year is supposed to be about us. And so let's just kind of back off and be about us and really spend the first year with us. And because you spent the first year with just us, you get pregnant and then you... And then what, oh, we just had a baby, so now we really can't serve because, you know, God would want us to bond with little, little goo goo, you know, and, and it's like, oh, you know, let's, let's just spend that first year, and then, oh, he's learning how to walk, learning how to, and, and then this whole insane mindset that some of you have right now, where it's like, man, don't go anywhere for the world, let's go, let's go, let's go, suddenly everything changes, and it becomes inward and safe. Meanwhile, there's this war going on out there, but you got your nice little house in this gated community and you're putting up soundproof windows and there's a war going on out there. And, and, and our prayer is that there would be a new generation that rises up and says, man, when I read this book, it's not about, oh, once I meet, like that's the goal of Christianity is to meet this person. 
No, everything, what, what the Bible teaches, what it emphasizes is how, you know, like in 1 Corinthians 7, it's great to be single because you're undistracted. And the idea even behind marriage is he says, hey, those who are married should live as though they are not. You don't hear that verse preached very often. But that was the core of our book. It's like, what's he saying? Why did Paul, who say husbands love your wives, also say those who are married should live as though they're not? It's because there's something bigger going on than marriage. Okay? And marriage is only to be a picture of a greater marriage that's going to come one day which is that marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what this book is about. And to have a different mindset, we're praying that a new group would rise up that says, man, if I'm going to get married, it's only because I believe we'll be more effective for the kingdom. We can make more disciples together. And if I have kids, it's not so that I can have all these cute little pets. It's the idea is I'm raising up some warriors. You know, I'm raising up some soldiers. I mean, I want my seven kids to change the world. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, protect them and keep them here, you know, in my house with a helmet. I'm like, go, you know, we're going to be in San Francisco. I'm going to put you in the public school. I'm going to put you downtown San Francisco. I'm going to have you talking to bums. I'm going to have you multiply the soldiers. So now suddenly it's not just me by myself, but I got someone fighting with me and we're making disciples together. And now I got seven others that we're raising up. Hey, have an influence wherever you are. See, that's what I see in scripture is that, hey, those who are married, you got to understand the time's short. There's something bigger. There's a mission out there that we got to go after. And so my prayer is that you don't fall into some of this American dream or Christianized American dream mindset. But you understand, look, my thought is, Lisa, as much as I love her and as much as I've even prayed, like, God, I would love it if I died before her. You know, so I'd never have to live without her. Um, as much as I want that, I understand she's going to die any second. I'm going to die any second. And she's going to stand before a holy God. And my job is, oh, I want her to be able to say at the end of my life, Lord, I completed the work you gave me to do. And please understand, I'm not saying it's not important to be a dad. I'm a great dad. I'm a killer. I'm, I'm little league coach right now. I am a great dad, okay? I'm not diminishing any of that stuff. I'm not saying it's not important to be, you know, a great mother, okay? So don't start tweeting. Francis is anti-family. I'm not saying that, hey, don't have fun as a couple. There's no one on earth I'd rather be with. But I'm being true to scripture and saying, look, it's not about us. And when you realize it's not about us and it's about this mission, it's crazy how you two just end up being together. It's, it's, it's like the mission trip I talk about. You know, like when you go on a mission trip, you're not thinking about, ooh, this is my chance to bond with a bunch of people. No, you're just thinking about the mission. But what happens as you're on mission together, you start loving these people that you never would have hung out with before. But you went on this mission trip together and suddenly it's like, man, I love that old lady. I love that little weird 12-year-old. I love this, you know, it, because you were doing something together. And that's what I found in my family. That's what the book was about. We're like, man, it's weird that our family's so close because we don't even try that hard. It's weird that this happens because it's the mission that as we've even let go of the family, it's kind of like when you lose it, you find it. And, um, and that's my point in that. But, I, I'm, I, but don't take my word for it. I, I want to just beg you, beg you, please read this book for yourself. If you don't study this book for yourself, I don't know what hope there is for you, honestly. And, and here's why I say that. There is so much false teaching out there right now there is so much false teaching out there that's why i go man don't even listen to what i'm saying necessarily look it up see if that's what the real what the bible really says i'm not i'm not saying that you've got to be some hebrew scholar or greek scholar but i'm saying some of those supposed scholars are really messing us up and we're missing the obvious teaching of scripture I'm saying just read this book over and over and over. 
We encourage every, everyone in our, our churches, you know, down in San Francisco, we read through the Bible together, verse by verse, all, you know, the whole Bible every year, because I want my people reading the word for themselves. I want them to see the power that's in this, and I want them to catch what's obvious and what is emphasized. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 3, it says, The time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul tells Timothy, look, a time's coming when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. But because they have these itching ears, like they want to hear certain things, they're, they're, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. How do you accumulate teachers to suit your own passions? It's, it, it's about your passion. You want something. Listen, something I learned in seminary is I can make this book say anything I want. Give me a topic. You want to kill rabbits for fun? I will show you how to proof text that. I'll come up with some obscure cultural fact and give you some verb that means hop. I, I, you know, whatever. I'll, 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 I'll twist this, twist that, and, you'll, and you won't know any better. You don't know Hebrew. This is what I learned in seminary. Man, I can make this thing say anything. And if you want something to be true, you can find someone with a PhD in Bible to tell you whatever you want to say. Go to the Christian bookstore. You want to get a divorce? I'll I'll find you a book that'll prove to you it's just totally fine under any condition. You want to ignore the poor? I, I can find you guys that will fight for that. And they'll have a doctor before their name. I'm telling you, there's so much crafty, weird, false teaching out there that if you are not a student of this book, I really don't know how you're going to make it. I really don't know how you're going to get to what is true and what is actually emphasized in this book. See, Paul's talking about the end times here. He says, in the, in the end times, it's, it's going to get crazy. And the issue isn't that these scholars are really coming up with these things and that it's really true. The issue is the same issue it's always been. It's about their passions. It's about sin. And how sin is going to creep itself into the church. In fact, in in 2 Timothy 3, he says this. He says, but understand this. Verse 1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He goes, in the last days, which I think most of us believe we're in, the last days. He says, it's going to be times of difficulty. The, the, The term there, some of your Bibles may say terrible. Like there's just going to be these terrible times in the end. See, times are changing. And if you go to other countries, you see just how bad it is for believers. And we're heading more and more that way. Man, it used to be, when I grew up here in America, it used to be that I could just go to Sunday school, right? Just go to Sunday school class, learn the Bible, you know? And then, and then I can go to youth group and have, you know, pizza nights and stuff and do good stuff with all my little Christians in my youth group. And then, you know, and then after that, I can go to a college group and, you know, go hang out with the college group. And then I can go to a singles ministry, you know, like this, not this massive, but, you know, singles ministry, you know, and, and have something like that. Then, then maybe one day, you know, be part of a, a small group Bible study whether it's singles or couples or whoever kind of raise our kids and start the process all over again and kind of keep these little safe environments going, 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 going but I think we all know that's not the future that it's going to get hard really hard to take a stand on anything and living in San Francisco I see the future of Dallas (laughs) Um, we're not going to become more like you. The world's going more and more 
the way my city is. And it's, it's a scary time. The things my kids have to put up with, no youth group's going to help them. The things my kids are going through, high school group, it's not enough. Not even close. They better deeply know this book. And the Holy Spirit better be in them. Because you used to be able to live a moral life without the Holy Spirit. It's just because that's the majority of the culture. But now it's like, man, if you want to live a holy life, man, it better be coming from within. It better be that Ezekiel miracle where the Spirit of God enters in you and now you're a slave to what is right. Because everything out there is going to bombard you with lies. And what 2 Timothy 3 is talking about, these terrible, lo- these terrible times, he's talking about even inside the church. And you'll see this in the next few verses. He explains why it's going to be terrible. Verse 2, he says, for peeper, 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 <laughs> sorry, my English, uh, for peeper, <laughs> for <laughs> For people Love how I can just ruin a moment Okay Just all on fire Like yeah For people Will be lovers of self Lovers of money Proud Arrogant Abusive Disobedient to their parents Ungrateful Unholy Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Okay, see, even that last phrase, you know, they, 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 having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. They have the appearance of godliness but they deny its power. He's talking about people in the church. He's not talking about atheists here. He's talking about people who actually claim the name of Christ but deny the power that Christ can have in an individual. Denying the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's like, oh, you're just stuck with that. Oh, you grew up with that. You, you, you can't get rid of that. Oh, you don't have power to change other people's lives. You don't, not everyone has a spiritual gift that's going to change the church. It's this idea of having some form of godliness. It's about the person who goes, attends the church, maybe even calls himself or herself a believer. These things are about the church. That's why Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, okay, this is the way it's going to be in the end. They're going to look for teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, why it's okay to stay in their sin. They they don't really love him. They actually love pleasure. In fact, sometimes they'll go into buildings looking for pleasure, and maybe God's a way that can lead me to that. We've got many churches teaching that today. Hey, if you follow him, you can have this and this and this and this. So you're not really after him. You're after the things that you think would please you. And he's like a genie who just might give that to you. Paul says this is the way it's going to be at the end. Because the truth is that first phrase, people will be lovers of self. I read one commentary that says that that because right there he names 19 different characteristics of people, of the majority of people, and how it's going to creep into the church. Those 19 characteristics, but I read one commentary, I love what it said. It says, that first one, people will be lovers of self. He says, that's really the sewer pipe from which all the other garbage flows. Okay, It starts off with being a lover of self. And this is a doctrine that has crept into the church. Where I hear, I've heard it for years. You go, well, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. What if I don't love myself? 
I need to spend more time loving myself. So help me love myself. I don't love myself. And let's get together and talk about me and how I can love myself more. And the truth is, is the majority of people that make those comments really are obsessed with themselves. They can't stop talking about themselves. Let's come over, come to my house and talk about my problems and why I don't like me. It's me, me, me. And I'm telling you, some of the most depressed people are also some of the most self-centered people. It's, it's, it's this, I can't stop thinking about myself and why things are not working out for me. And, and, and yet the truth is, is being a lover of self is actually the opposite of love. I mean, the Bible's emphasis is about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. Because the self part is easy. It's just that we can get consumed. And I'm telling you, any of us who thinks about himself or herself too much is going to get depressed. Man, if I just stare at me, (laughs) man, I'll bum myself out. I just will. That's not what we're here for. We're here to stare at him and gaze at him and go, man, you're going to adopt me? Like everything, like everything. I just get everything that you gave Jesus. Like everything Jesus has is, are you kidding me? That's my, that's what we're supposed to stare at. Man, I love you. I love you. I love you. In fact, let me me make a, a, a page that's about you. Rather than a page that's all about me. Look at me, look at me, look what I have to say. But in the end times, people are just going to be about themselves, loving themselves. Um, See, and this is what the Holy Spirit can rescue you from. Listen, I'm not like, uh, what do you you call that? Uh, I'm not that, okay? I'm not uh, like distanced, uh, oblivious, like it's not beyond me. Not naive. Ignorant, beyond that. Yeah, I know, but that's not a good word. Not, not in denial? No. <laughs> it's a really easy word. Wait, wait, wait what? Aloof? No. (laughs) Oblivious? No. It's like when it doesn't touch you, like. Immune. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Woo. Woo. (laughs) Uh. Thank you, Peeper. Uh, I am not. It's not like, it's part of getting old. No, but I'm not like immune. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, is that guy immune? I'm not immune to, to selfishness, you know, to, to waking up and thinking about me, right? It's, isn't it, it, it's, it's a struggle for all of us. You wake up and you think, me, what does me want to eat? What is, you know, it's, it's just, it's me, me, me. Let me look at me in the mirror. Let me look at, you know, but these are the things that, this is why, this is what the Holy Spirit can do for you, though. It's, it's like he, he gives you the power to change that. Because we grow up, man, every child we've had, and we've had a lot, every child we have, man, they just naturally think about themselves, Mine, that's one of the first words you guys learn. Mine, no, me, wham. You know, it's like everyone's supposed to cater to me, you know? It's just that's the way we are. But you got to understand there is something the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Okay? For those of you, man, I don't mean to be little, you know, some of your problems when you just stare in that mirror and you do depress yourself, you just feel like I'm not matching up, I thought I'd be further along in life, I thought I, 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 I. This is something the Holy Spirit can deliver you from. I, I hate how much I think about myself. 
But when I seriously pray about it and say, God, I just want to think about you. You know, let me, let me just dwell on you. It's work to think about someone else. And that's why I think sometimes we love it when we're in other countries. That's why we love these mission trips where we're surrounded with people who, who, who have much deeper needs than us. And it feels good because you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about what you're wearing in the middle of you know, some village in Africa. You're not thinking about how you look. or how, You're suddenly consumed with their need. You're thinking about other people. You're loving and there's something so great about that. And that's a work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. Where you're just focusing on him and thanking him. Because it's, it's that love of self really that does add to everything else in that list. Lovers of money. Why do you love money? So you can spend it on you. Because you love you. And money's good for you. The lovers of money. They're proud. Why? Because you're thinking about yourself. Arrogant, abusive. Why? Because you're you, you're not looking at the other person, so you can abuse them for your own gain. You know, I was told, you know, every every man is is either a uh, predator or a protector. You're either a predator or a protector. You're either preying on women or you're protecting the women. You know, that's what God can change your heart from just you, 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 abusive. Why? Because it's all about you. He can change. That's why he's saying that's the sewer pipe, that love of self. Man, I remember when I was a, you know, in like, I think it was junior high or high school. Man, this song came out by Whitney Houston. We used to slow dance to it all the time. You know, um, just uh, I believe the children are future, you know, and, and that whole song. But, but it was called The Greatest Love. The greatest, you know that one? Um, love of all. It's, and, and the phrase is learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I remember singing that. You know, while you're hugging a girl, grabbing her. It's just the greatest. It's junior high, high school, silly. This is before I was a Christian. It, it, you know, it's just, it's this whole idea. But it, it's just the same mindset. He goes, in the end times, this is the way people are going to think. It's about me. And church is a consumer thing about me. Let me come in and see if I like it. What church is going to please me the most? Because I love me. You don't come in thinking, God's given me a spiritual gift for the common good. To come in and say, God, I don't want tonight to be about me. I don't want to walk away. I don't want, God, I don't want to walk off this stage and have people think about me. I don't want to walk off this stage and go, oh good, they liked me. Man, I want it to be about you. Like, how can, I, how can I show them how great you are? How can I just show them how great your word is by just reading it to them? Don't you see all the truth that's coming out of these words? I mean, this is God. He said, look, this is the way it's going to be in the end. And it's going to creep into the church. They're going to be self-centered. They're going to love themselves. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Man, that's the norm. Go work in the kids' ministry. You know, you'll see. Man, it's crazy the way kids talk to their parents. Ungrateful. That's the opposite of a spirit-filled person. In Ephesians 5, it talks about how they give thanks to God always in Christ Jesus in every situation. Spirit-filled person is constantly, oh God, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this. And yet in the, in, at the end times, everyone's just complain about everything that's wrong. Why can't the church be more like this? Why can't my husband be more like this? Why can't our singles group be more like this? Why can't the preacher be more like this? Why can't the band be more like this? Instead of just gratitude. God, life is great. I've got everything. Everything that you own is mine. I'm your child. My whole future is set. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now you've given me some sort of spiritual gift where I can use it to bless others and bring them closer. I'm a servant of, are you kidding me? A servant of God? I get to work for him? That's what my life is about? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Be ungrateful, unholy, 
I don't think I need to explain that. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. And God's not allowed to do this. He's not allowed to punish. He's not allowed to... Saying everything that God's not allowed to do without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. This is what we're up against. This is what you're up against. Some of you may already have children, and if you're anything like me, you're concerned about the future, going, man, if it's this bad now, man, I could tell you stories of things that my kids have had to go go through in the public school where I just go, you've got to be kidding me. Really? That's what it's come to already? And others of you that maybe you will get married and have kids, you're going to be freaked out about their future but this isn't this isn't so that we get terrified of it it's so that we're honest about what we're up against and what may creep into the church but Paul tells Timothy chapter 4 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 but I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead okay he is coming to judge I know that's not a popular belief anymore that God judges, but I'm saying you really need to read this book. Okay? Because you, you, you'll probably get to the second page and go, oh, he killed everyone. <laughs> and you'll have some Hebrew scholar that'll pick up some other verse somewhere out there and say, oh, God's not a judge. I'm just saying read it. To drown everyone on earth... To, to, to kill the firstborn of a whole city, of a whole nation, the firstborn, and go, I'm going to do this, and he does it? Man, to, to have the earth open up and just swallow people alive, to have snakes come out and, 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 and just, you know, start killing people? To have fire come down from heaven and consume people? I mean, read it. It's page after page. You're going, oh, but that's all Old Testament. Yeah, because by revelation, he really mellows out. (laughs) He's like a little puppy at the end. (laughs) I'm just saying, read it. Okay? And here's Paul telling Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God. God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word be ready in season out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry from already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I love this part. He goes, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, why does Paul warn Timothy of all this stuff? Not to freak him out. He says, this is the way it's going to be at the end. He goes, but not you. Okay? So that's the way everyone else is going to be, but as for you. I mean, I love that phrase. He uses it often. He goes, but, but, but not you, but you, man of God. This is what everyone else is going to do, but you, what are you going to do? 
He goes, you, you, you confront it. You exhort it. You rebuke it. You, you patiently just teach it over and over and over. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell them the truth about the judgment that's coming. And he says, you know what? And endure the suffering that's going to come your way. You're going to suffer. And what does Paul say at the end? He says, look, I've done it. Paul says, the, the, the time, I, I, I don't know how he knew. But somehow he knew. He says, the time of my departure has come. That's always puzzled me. Like, how does he, how he knew? Maybe it was just the situation was so bad or everything else, but he was in so many difficult situations. But I don't know. I've heard of people just kind of knowing at the end that we're close to God. Okay, it's time. Other times I knew I was going to make it through this time. No, no, no. It's something's confirmed. Um, it's just like uh, two months ago, I had like what I think might have been a heart attack I didn't know though like it was one of those things where suddenly you know I was was in the morning I'm changing a diaper and I felt like these hands went inside of my rib cage and like grabbed my lungs like and I was just like kind of stuck just holding on this table and so much pain and my mind just I think this is what they I've never had any problems in it you know so it was just this weird feeling I don't even know how to describe it I'm like oh man I think this is it I, I think this is a heart attack. You know, this is what I hear about. And, and I, I can barely breathe. I'm just holding on. And I'm thinking, okay, do I yell for Lisa? No, I don't want to wake her up. You know, just like, like this. I'm just telling you what's going on in my mind. You know, I wasn't afraid, but I just, I remember thinking, ah, this might be it, but that doesn't seem like this is how I would go. <laughs> you know, I seriously thought that because I thought about this past. I thought, Really, after everything he's shown me, I'm going to die changing a diaper? You know, like, it, it just didn't fit, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I came out of that experience, you know, I did the treadmill thing and all that other, all the stress tests and that. We still don't know what happened. But what's so cool is to not fear death. You know, it's just kind of one of those things, like, death has lost its sting. Um, it's just cool. It's like, well, maybe this is it, but... That, It'd be weird if this is it. I, I thought it'd be more dramatic than, you know, like, I want to go out like something cool. Um, you know, but, but Paul somehow knew. He goes, this is the end. But what he says at the end was, he goes, I fought the good fight. This is a fight, you guys. Okay, make no mistake about it. I think we all understand this. I hope we understand this. What Paul was telling Timothy in these last times, it's going to be terrible times. But Paul says, I'm done. I did my part. I fought the fight. And when you read about what Paul went through, it was a fight. And he says, I finished the race. I did it all. And I kept the faith. And he says, so now I'm just waiting for my, my reward. You know, it's that picture of like when you see in the Olympics, you know, someone won their event. And after all the work, all the effort, they win. And now they're just waiting to be on that stand and get their medal. Like you ever see their faces when they just know, like the you know the gymnast, you know it's just like they know, you know, or the sow cow, you know, ice skater, whatever, and uh, and they're they're about to get their award. You just see their face beaming, like this is this is everything I ever worked for. Like that's the picture that Paul's painting there. It's like man, this is it. I'm dying. This is it. I, I did it. I fought the fight. Man, I, I put up with all the... And he's telling Timothy, look at my face right now. I wish you could see me right now. It's a, these are good times. I'm about to get my reward. Man, I hope this is the goal of your life. You know, we, my wife and I were, were speaking at a marriage conference once. I'll close with this. But she made the comment. She, you know, she, she, she says, you never watch that show, The Amazing Race? Um, where you know you find a partner and you just race around the world with all these people and 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 she she's, she just loves that show because you know the whole idea is you, you see the couples that start fighting with each other and they start losing the race they start yelling at each other and 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 you know and, and they try to get to these checkpoints i don't know how it works but you win money at the end and and she says you know i feel like our marriage our life has been like a giant episode of the amazing race like we don't have time to fight, okay? 
we got to get to the next station. And we don't have time to really celebrate. It's like we get to these checkpoints, something good happens, like high five, now let's keep going because we're on a mission. We're down here doing something. And she says, one day, man, there will be time to celebrate. There will be time to fall in each other's arms and go, we did it, and fall into our Savior's arms and go, we did it. But right now there's a war going on. There's a race going on. And we want to run to win it. And so many people don't have that mindset in life because they're just lovers of self. And they're just thinking about how can I find happiness, me, 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 rather than focusing on this mission. And if we would focus on this mission, we'd see, oh man, there's so much pleasure in serving God. It's hard. And there's days you want to quit, but there's just something so cool. But ultimately, it's about the end. Ultimately, it's about being like the Apostle Paul and at the end of our lives going, we did it. We did it. And now we're just waiting to see him and get our reward. So here's what I want you to do right now. Would you just bow your heads for a second? Just, just close. You don't have to bow your head. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes and I just want you to imagine. I know we can't totally get it. But think of every verse you know about God and his holiness and dwelling in unapproachable light. Think about that God who says, I, no one can look at me and live. Think about the angels covering themselves up. Holy, holy, holy. And, and how one day you're going to stand before him. Imagine Paul. Imagine yourself now. Imagine it's the end. And you are before him. Just picture yourself before God. What are you going to be thinking at that moment? What are you going to care about as you're about to enter into forever? Father, help us to really understand the brevity of life. Father, I ask you right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes so we could just get a glimpse of how intense it's going to be when we face you. And when we see you for the very first time, can you just give us a glimpse, Lord? So that all the things in the world that we're in love with would grow strangely dim. God, I don't know what's going on in this room. Lord, I just pray that you raise up a new generation of leaders that would focus on the mission and sacrifice whatever they need to for you. And God, in a room this size, there's all sorts of sin going on that's hidden. God, I'm not asking them to feel guilt right now. I'm asking you by your spirit, Lord, would you show them how beautiful you are? 
how much greater you are than all that sin. That they would joyfully let go. God, that they'd be lovers of you rather than of pleasure or of self. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you so much for your spirit, Lord, that we don't have to fear, Lord, this world is gonna get uglier. God, it's okay. Because we have your spirit in us who will enable us to suffer whatever we need to for your glory. Just look up at me for a second. Just one last thought that came to me as I was praying. You know, I don't know how you usually end things here, but, you know, if there's people they can talk to or whatever, but just that picture of Judas came to my mind as I was praying, you know, where Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that picture of him, once he was holding the silver, he just freaked out and just like threw it in the temple and went and hung himself. And I don't know, I'm still confused by Judas, but I think what happens is, you know, this happens in life where you think something so great and then you realize you traded the son of God for this. And you're holding the silver or whatever it is and going, what did I do? And it may really be a bag of silver for you or finances or a reputation or more followers or maybe a guy or a girl and pretty soon you're holding them and going, I gave up God for her, for him, for this. And you just go nuts because you, maybe you just suddenly get it. And I'm just saying, well, before it's too late and before it destroys you like it did Judas, man, I'm saying, man, let go of it now. And maybe there's a reason why you're here tonight. And maybe this is part of your preparation to get your life on a different track so you are ready to come in the presence of God.